Welcome to another episode of our monthly live Emerging Franchiser Roundtable. Um, you know, the last roundtable got actually a lot more views uh, than I had anticipated, and um, there were fewer people who actually joined us live, but there were people who ended up watching the last uh, roundtable um, after the fact. You know, I think, you know, with your promotion and, you know, uh, and just in general, the topics, I think it it was actually went over really well. Um, I didn't get a uh, a copyright strike for the uh, (laughs) for using the founder clip, Uh, but I think I found a way to kind of circumnavigate that. But this is being um, this is being, you know, broadcast live on uh, YouTube, so I don't want to go into my back in secrets so they gave me a strike just for existing here but um anyways welcome to uh the esteemed panel once again and uh, before we we go into our conversation our topics today and of course another clip from um something i'm going to surprise you with later uh, let's just go around the round table well square table from where we sit and uh, just introduce ourselves let's start with uh troy you're on my immediate right. Hey, everybody. Troy Hooper. I'm a um, consulting uh, CEO. Um, we have a firm that uh, helps emerging brands scale through both corporate and franchising models. And we offer uh, soup to nuts end to end A to Z services, outsourced infrastructure services to get you from where you're at to where you want to go. And typically, our um, clients have between one and 10 stores existing. We typically spend time with them over about a year to a year and a half until they hit, on average, about 25 or so stores. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. Troy is a beast, man. He gave me a year worth of knowledge in an hour conversation. So that was awesome. (laughs) Uh, Next, we have Andrea Bailey Brown. I'm always, excuse me, Professor Andrea (laughs) Bailey Brown. Pardon Oh, Micah, you are so funny, but it is true. I am a professor. Um, So I'm Andrea Bailey-Brown. I am the CEO and founder of Bailey Brown, the franchise agency and Bailey Brown Business Consulting. I'm a franchise owner, multi-unit franchise owner with the Jiffy Lube brand. And yes, I recently took on um, a teaching instructor position at the college in my area, I'll be teaching venture development and entrepreneurship for students in the Faculty of Business, Environment, and Technology. So um, it's just something I was doing out of for passion and fun, basically. So I wanted to add that um, for 2022. So excited to be here and to see familiar faces. Thank you. Andrew, you're like, you're like uh, Puff Daddy. You just have um, a little bit of ownership and equity in every um, channel and distribution channel. We have esteemable, the omnipresent, the hot rocket, Megan Allen. 
Oh my god, hot rocket. I don't know what to say about that. I am running a doggy daycare in my own house. Um, that didn't take long. Crazy me got a puppy over the holidays, not because it was a uh, spoiler for my children, but for myself. Um, but <laughs> he is giving his brothers a run for their money right in the background. So I'm going to try to mute as much as I need to. But thank you, Micah. Uh, been a pleasure to get to know your process mm -hmm. and be an ambassador for you as a human being and as a franchisor. I don't get that luxury very often where I can feel comfortable, you know, kind of saying, Hey, I know this guy, this is something to look at, you know, cause I know your worth and your ethics. And that's why I'm part of this is, you know, I'm an ambassador for the franchise industry uh, 30 years in just like, Joe, who is not feeling well, and I'm proud to say I do feel well, shockingly enough. Everybody seems to be sick. But no, I I just love to hear the, the struggles of emerging brands. But think about like, well, what's your niche? You know, what can it's not about a hook or anything disingenuous. It's really about what's the value that someone could get as an emerging franchisee, an emerging brand versus joining it at, you know, thousand level unit where you're a number. And I think that's what we all three share and include, you know, in addition to you, Micah, for what you're doing is there's a lot of benefit. So there's a lot of pros and cons, but there's a lot more win joining an emerging brand. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, the, the real reason, um, and you, you three are familiar with uh, my reasons for for starting this um you know it's it's we're not doing it like super frequently but we're all busy so um obviously um it's actually a unique situation where we get to kind of come together but really my journey um in franchising uh, you know the the the, be, the start of it was some of it i am legally obligated not to speak about um <laughs> read read into that which you will but there but the the point is is that i had an issue with finding information finding sources of trust getting good not just information getting good information and what did that good information mean and how could i apply it to my brand and grow and cut the learning curve and for me you know it's been a it's been a process i was really for you know we talked about clubhouse and um how clubhouse maybe on the decline a bit as more popular social media platforms are adopting the IP that they use on Clubhouse to, um, you know, you know, to kind of get the word out about about brands or just in general make connections. But Clubhouse is really the catalyst for, I think, this relationship, these relationships that we have, um, and getting to know each other. And so for that, I'm eternally grateful, given that. Um, you know, we have, you know, we have um, been able to connect and then share our knowledge. And, uh, you know, so anyways, I, I came to the realization that this is knowledge that needed to be shared with people who are looking to make a transition from um, business owner to franchisor. I want to, I want to, this is going to sound weird, prevent some people from getting into franchising. And I want to encourage some people to get into franchising because I think both of those decisions are reasonable um, and uh, they, you know, they're heavy and, and there's a lot of cost to it. So either save yourself some money and stress 
um, or uh, or spend a lot of money and, and really build something that you can scale. So I think that's what we're doing here, and I'm proud of that work. So glad that we can kind of continue to meet monthly. So my topic tonight, what I wanted to talk about, is I wanted to talk about the financial cost of starting a franchise, both financial and mental. That is the basis, I think, for our discussion tonight. And there is a mental cost and there is a financial cost. Now, you can say that there's a mental cost to everything that you do that's worthwhile um, because it requires mental energy. But franchising in particular is a unique set of mental circumstances. <laughs> you have to it truly is slightly yeah. crazy to do it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about um, first the financial costs to, to get started and put some perspective because you would be surprised. I have emerging franchisers asking me, even after they've already developed their FDD and everything, how much did I pay to start my franchise? Because everyone thinks that they're kind of simultaneously getting screwed and getting information at the same time. So um, you know, what, what has been your experience in kind of dealing with this, some of the startup costs that you're aware of? And, and uh, yeah, so just we're going to do it like we did last time, conversational style. Megan, Troy, Troy, you want to start? Sure. Um, you know, you can you can franchise your business um, for very little or for very lot, but <laughs> it, it is it is a case where you, in many cases, get what you pay for. Um, I usually say, look, I, I know of people that have franchised their business for twenty five thousand dollars. I've had people come back and tell me they spent twelve or eighteen thousand dollars to do it. Um, the, the hard costs are legal and accounting based predominantly registrations. Those things are not extraordinarily expensive, but again, in my opinion, you do get what you pay for it. Right. And it's true for most lawyers. I mean, a lot of lawyers, if you're going to get an FDD done by a franchise lawyer, you know, it's pretty packaged. It's pretty standardized. There's, there's a kind of a 15 or $20,000 range, but the ones that charge more tend to give more services, more value add um, than just the legal document. The bare bones of anything is the bare bones and that's what you pay for and that's what you get. Um, franchising is not about bare bones and paperwork. This is this is really about knowledge and information and understanding and doing things correctly now so that you're set up for a successful future. So um, my, my advice to folks is, um, you know, plan on about $100,000. Just If you have a business that you want to franchise, um, you know, it's going to be about $100,000. You know, legal and accounting on our side as a wholesale uh, add-on service to our consulting services is $50,000. Um, but that's that wholesale as an add-on because we have an entire team that do that. Um, but then you have registration fees. And if you're going to register in states and other things, there, there's, you know, there's stuff to go into it. It really depends on if you have a brand. Do you really have a brand? Just because you have a name and a logo doesn't mean you have a, a brand that's ready for replication and ready for scale. So um, th that's a real loaded question. But, you know, honestly, if you don't have $100,000 expendable through your business or through your own personal savings as the business owner, um, I, I would look to wait to um, to have that as a reserve to to get it done correctly and spend the time and, and have the effort put into it. Yeah, that makes sense. So here's a question. Um, that $100,000 that you said, um, roughly, does that also equal the owner's time value in perhaps putting in 
uh, time for the operating manual, which is you know some some companies package uh, together after Correct. the operating manual. Um, and that's why I say a hundred thousand. Yeah. yeah, because because you really do need to have people provide that for you. There's a lot of legality in what you can and can't say. A lot of structure. Um, there's a look. If you had it all done right, you wouldn't need somebody to help you do it, right? And right. Exactly. and nobody's ever got it all uh, for the most part, you know. Unless you're in the franchising business, and I know some CEOs who have built and run and franchised businesses that went and started their own and were able to do it, but but they still hired help. I mean, they still hired people that were specialists in their field. Um, so no, you, you, that doesn't include your time. Uh, but when you started the business you're running, you probably weren't paying yourself from day one either. Uh, right. you, you put in the sweat equity, you put in the nights and weekends and, and you got it done. And this is essentially the next phase of your business that you're, it's almost like starting over. It really is starting over. You're, you're actually starting a new business. Yeah. And just so that, uh, everyone knows if you're watching this live, <clears throat> we will, um, be, uh, you can comment or, or post and we'll be able to we should be able to see it if you have questions so i will remind you as the stream goes on megan oh my gosh well first of all you have a crew for a reason um <laughs> i will not refer a franchise attorney that doesn't have some ability to do a flat fee first of all mm -hmm. and put it in writing um, I will not allow that attorney unless it's a situation, Micah, where I knew I had a good fit already because I had that conversation. Right. Um, my reputation as a franchise ambassador, and don't laugh at me when I say it, I'm all in, right? Finance programs, I, you name it, I'm in it. The reason for that is because I have so many valuable personal friends that I've made over the years that... I will not refer someone to someone unless I talk to my referral source first. Mm -hmm. So if you think I referred the person I did to you, Micah, without having a serious conversation about the opportunity for your sake, you're wrong, right? <laughs> because I did. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's okay, right? That's how networking, that's how being immersed in, a, in, in an industry works. But I will tell you what I loved about what Troy said is don't, ever misunderstand the work of a founder, the work of the lead, you know, initial investors. And when I say investor, that's a stakeholder that is an employee, right? Whoever your stakeholders need to know that they have responsibilities, but you will support them in getting the right resources as the main founder and franchisor to not put them in risk or people at risk. And so a hundred grand is the minimal entry point in my mind as a budget to be liquid. You're not borrowing money to do this, right? You feel strong enough about your model that you're willing to bet on your own personal money as a founder. And you know what you get from that? Equity. You get to keep over 80% equity in your brand as an emerging brand and give equity to the people that deserve it, that took pay cuts, that right? You, you gave a 1% ownership stake too. There's a lot of ways to win but it's important to reward people for believing in you when you were there, not when you're at hopefully sort of kind of hundred units, right? So there is that weird cycle catch 22. Hey, believe in me as a human being, then believe in the model, then work in the model, then learn the model, then teach the model, then be the model. 
right? Because people that come from the outside of a model don't have the same skin in the game or knowledge to really help you grow. And so it's more than money. But if you don't have the money liquid, it's going to be tough. And, and I hate to be that way, but money rules the world and we live in a capitalistic society. You have to pay for experts and you have to pay for the right people. Yeah, you know, it's it is a fact of life and it's it's tough because um honestly you know there are businesses that are probably worthy of franchising now if joe was here he would say if they don't have the money they're not worthy <laughs> but <clears throat> idealistically i think that there are businesses um worthy of franchising if they had some backing right and um if they had some cash behind them and I think your your points are sound, which is create the relationships that give you the cash um, or maybe change your business slightly to get more cash to then go into this endeavor. Right. And um, that's something that, you know, I had to wrestle with. I spent money that I felt like puking over to get started. I and, still um, do just to be in franchising, by the way. Yeah, everything. If, well, the thing is, once you get in franchising and you kind of start everything, that's just, I mean, that's not even the beginning. That's like a footnote because, you know, the the trade shows, uh, the services, you're not getting anything under a thousand bucks, by the way, if you're watching this. So <laughs> everything is going to cost like multiple thousands of dollars to engage. And uh, it's it's actually real money when you start adding it up. And, but it's because the services that people provide you typically are, They've done it before. They've gotten results. They they understand their value. And one thing I've learned as an emerging franchisor is that if there's any type of industry that understands value, typically, unless you're being scammed, it's franchising. And they know every single penny that they're worth and they charge it. Is that has that been your experience, Andrea? Like uh being like dealing with Jiffy Lube in consulting. Um do you feel like uh, people basically charge their worth in franchising industry? They're like the professionals involved in it. Yeah, it um, it's a costly industry. I think business itself is costly. So I think that's something that people really forget. I think they go into business and you kind of think about what you can make and the lifestyle. But I think we don't talk enough about what you have to invest before you start seeing those returns and mm -hmm. Um, it's just, it's, you know, sometimes entrepreneurship is glorified and those are some of the things right now I'm teaching students about that are looking into venture development and that it's that what, what is entrepreneurship really? It's, mm. you know, what you have to take a risk on an idea that may not even work. It's not guaranteed. So I think sometimes we forget about the investment side of business and, um, like yourself, I know sometimes I have to write big checks, you know, and you're like, whoo. You know, you take a breath and then you have to believe, okay, um, money is a currency. It flows, it comes and it goes. And you just have to, have, when you talk about the mental side of franchising, um, it's the mental part of business. You just have to remember like, oh yes, it will come, it will go. And you just sort of build that strength of writing some of those big checks. And on the other side, when the, the checks come in and a client pays you, um, you know, you get 50,000 or 25,000 for doing something, you're like, you take a breath and you're, you know, that's where the flow actually works. So. You know, one thing I thought about in terms of perspective with the franchise 
is that you're asking people to go into their life saving to invest in a business that you put together and that you want quality people to be a part of. And if you can't invest cash, you're like if you can't put skin in the game to be in a position to be able to get quality people, then you know, and and consider your whatever your investment, your initial investment is, whether it's 30, 50, 75, or 100 grand, then you know, it, and it's going to take time to return that money. It's going to take longer for to re, unfortunately to return your money as a franchisor than your franchisee. It's just the reality of being a franchisor. Um, you know, you have to take a long term view, and it's years. It's not, you know, it's not a, it's not your widget business where you can invest in marketing, and there is literally a market return on your on your client acquisition cost. You know, you can figure that stuff out in franchising, but but the scope of time is it's tremendously larger um, in return. Well, we're not selling knife sets, right? We're not selling a one-off consumer. We're not QVC, okay? My husband's never been a fan of QVC. Somehow he got locked in. I got the most amazing hoodie from QVC from him. And he's like, I couldn't believe I would actually be a consumer of that, right? So when I put this all in perspective, I think, so you have to bet on yourself, the brand you're in, the passion you have for what you're doing as a franchisor, right? I'm talking to you, Micah, and your audience. And then you have to say, okay, well, you got to think that to buy, to really get your true investment back, time, lack of salary as a startup, all of these things. You have to do what I did, and that was be part of a very successful brand for 12 years and care so much about it every day that you eat, breathe, and still talk to the people in the brand when you're not mm -hmm. in it anymore, right? It benefit mm -hmm. everybody wins. If you become partners in life with your early adopters, and Troy, I know you've seen this firsthand, these relationships will come back full, full throttle to you. But you have to be willing to say, it's not always about the dollar per hour. It's about the hour that I spent with someone that changed my life too. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Troy, can you speak to um, the fact that when you franchise your business, you are developing a business? Like this is literally, <laughs> this is, you, it's not hard to explain, but I think it's a hard it's hard for people to get because they just think they think franchising is a thing and not a business, right? Um, there's this misconception, I think, even coming in as an emerging franchiser of what you're actually creating. Huge. <laughs> it's exactly, uh, it's like you're reading my mind. It's exactly what I was thinking for the last couple of minutes. The reality is no matter what your business is, what you do today, you are starting a new business and that is a service-based business to clients and those clients happen to be people giving you 20 40 60 hundred thousand dollar fee and generally up to 10 percent of their gross sales for the right to have that business and so you owe them and you have to service them and you have to provide to them and it's well beyond here's what our business is here's what it does i'm going to show you how to do it you're going to go off and do it and be successful thanks i'll look for the check you know every month that unfortunately is 
a pipe dream that a lot of people, when they think, man, I've got this great business, I've got two or three locations or whatever it is, doesn't matter what the businesses you've got going on, this is replicable. Other people can do this. I want, I want to have more of these. Um, let me get some people involved and have them pay me for that privilege. Um, then they, they think it's like, oh, I'm going to get half of that uh, franchise fee up front. That's going to go in my bank account. That's going to pay me back. Uh, I only have to sell, what, three, four franchises. I pay for this whole endeavor. And then what do I got to do? I got to run a few ads in their market. It, it's this mindset of how do I get to money fastest mm -hmm. when, when, really what you need to understand is you're starting a business. And, and we deal with this a lot we, because we offer full service end to end every possible aspect of this process for you. We do see people that want to like step back. And then we say, all right, here's the manuals. Here's 800 pages of manuals. You need to read them and you need to put your, your words in there, your, your culture, your, your style, your specifics about your business that are unique. We, we have done as much as we can to write it as if we were you, but we're not you. And mm. it's amazing when you see founders, franchise or uh, owners that are like, I've got to do work. What? What? I thought you were doing everything for me. I, I'm paying all this money. Well, yes, but do you understand that this is phase A1? <laughs> what, what happens when we're gone and you have 20, 30, 50 franchisees that are calling you, emailing you, texting you every day. Like mm -hmm. this is a business. And so um, that is one of the first things to get across to people is you're actually gonna stop running your existing business and start running a new business, which is teaching people how to do your existing business. And that's a daily practice, just like running your business is a daily practice. Challenges come to you every day, yeah. um, things to deal with, opportunities to take advantage of, pivots to make in your business come every day. Now you've got to help those other people, whether it's one or 100 people do that. And that's the business you're in now. So ask yourself before you even start thinking about this, do I want to become Professor Bailey Brown or do I just want to run my Jiffy Lube empire, right? And it is a difference of um, ideology is a difference of mindset and you have to get that right at the beginning. And unfortunately, uh, and not to harp on the negative, there are plenty of people that will take your money, sell you a bill of goods, hand you a pre-templated package of materials, give you the basic, basic, basic legal to get by and say, good luck, have a good day. And you, that we, we see this every day. Um, you know, I'll tell you, we probably turned down seven out of 10 potential clients and, Five of them are in trouble. They've 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 sold the first three to their cousin, their uncle, and their neighbor, and their friend in the other state, twenty states away, and they don't know what to do now. And because they weren't taught, they didn't go to school, and that's what this is all about. And kudos to you, Micah, and my fellow friends and panelists uh, for for spending time to do this because it's it's free information. Um, it's information you should uh, seek out. And um, there's lots of people like us and others that do it well and do it right. But unfortunately, there is a bit of a reputation, at least internally within our organizations, that there's a lot of people that will just take your check and you'll really still be swinging in the wind um, well beyond that experience and not really prepared properly to take this on. Mm -hmm. I think yeah, we should turn sense. it to Andrea because she's she is focused on so many different ways that franchising can work. 
She's an owner. I am too, but she has more units than I do, right, of a brand. Um, she's an intellectual. <laughs> Just now, they are starting to offer bachelors and masters in franchising, okay, at very select schools. One is in Louisville, right? And that is that is backed by Yum Brands. Well, good. I'm glad they're giving back. But mm. you couldn't get the education I have or, or Troy ha or anybody has through collegiate levels. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Andrea, you have such a great perspective on what would you teach? And I'm, I'm not trying to hijack you, Micah, but this is a really great point. I, I actually had a question for Andrea about this because she's a, we're on the same, so we're on the same page, but of go ahead, finish, go, you go through your so question. I tribe. And then I I'll, I'll jump in. Yeah, go. Go ahead. No, no, finish your question and I'll no, jump in. I was in. just asking her and, and, oh. and I'll throw it out. And Troy, maybe you throw it out before she answers. And then Micah, maybe you. What do you think is the number one thing if there was a course, a one-on-one franchising course, a legitimate college course that you would teach past entrepreneur, right, Andrea, because you could teach that all day long. Yeah. I'm talking about what is the most important things to learn in franchising. I'm going to jump and say the moral and ethical, you know, uh, requirements, right, that are past the Federal Trade Commission because they're very hands-off, even though it seems very over the top. They do not care as much as people think. Mm -hmm. So for me, it would be the regulations, the strategy, right? Strategy 101 in franchising of how do you navigate rules versus creating the right rules for your organization that will make people feel comfortable without caring about the legal rules. I'm not a franchise attorney, but I act like one on TV. And you know why? <laughs> 30 years of reviewing FDDs. Mm -hmm. I know my you know what, right? But start I calling was, you uh yeah. Megan Mat Megan Matlock. MacGyver. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know, whatever. But my point is 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 ethics and franchising would be my choice. I will wrap it up into that. And I'd like to hear, if you don't mind, Andrea's putting you on the spot, but I'd love to hear Troy and Micah's 101 franchising class. I think ethics and franchising is a big one. Let's go with uh, Andrea. Go ahead, Andrea. What's your, what's yours? Yeah. I think that, you know what I, what I really see happening and it happens to a lot of people. And I think I spent time in, um, I spent some time in direct sales and it taught me so much. Um, about business and work purely on commissions only, building a team. And I think the biggest thing I learned was sometimes a fish doesn't even know it's in water. So sometimes when you're in an industry, you drop terms, you use words all the time and you think everybody gets it. Like it's so normal, like FDD, like we really say franchise disclosure document, right? So you have all these acronyms that you use. And I really think the world of franchising um, is a bit of a mystery for most people mm. outside of the industry. And I conducted um, a couple, I do discovery calls. That's how I really talk to my client to see if we're a fit to work together. And, um, you know, I had a discovery call with someone on Wednesday who wants to franchise their business. And they're basically saying, um, I know about what they're doing, but I know nothing about franchising. And that's the word that comes up often. So I think I would start off with a, in a one-on-one course, like what is franchising? 
Um, what does it really mean? What's a multi-unit franchise owner? Um, and just really kind of normalize the industry because a lot of people, um, they really don't know anything more than they know McDonald's is a franchise, but it's not really enough to learn about the ins and outs of, um, of the franchising world. So I noticed in my curriculum that I'm going to be teaching, there is a section there about business and franchising. So, you know, I'm going to geek out on that part. <laughs> um, <laughs> it might be all about me. Though. Oh my God. I want to hear it. That's what I call the Vince, the the Vince Lombardi approach, Andrea. Yeah. What is because that? Vince Lombardi was well known every year during training camp for holding up a football to even veterans, rookies, whoever came in and saying, this is a football. Yeah. Blocking and tackling. Yeah. So I think your point is so, it's so simple, but it's so profound. It's like, yeah. what is franchising? What, what is franchising? Franchising. Bargain, teach me the recitals, right? Like if you think about it in agreement, the recitals, what are these terms? Yeah. Franchise terminology 101 or whatever you would call it, Andrea, with your big brain and vocabulary. But I agree. What is it? Yeah, I think they just need to learn some of the basics. And of course, using examples of um, different companies and that. But I think it's a good place for people, for students to start. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I went to, um, you know, to do my Bachelor of Education to become a teacher. So I had to start somewhere. I, I got the degree, but I wasn't actually a teacher until I, you know, maybe my third year when I started to go in and do my practicum. And I had to take over a classroom and really become it. So I think you can definitely teach franchising and that whole world, but they have to start somewhere and kind of then create that interest in the world of franchising and what it offers. So yeah, looking forward to, to that chapter. <laughs> All right, Troy, it's your time for your chapter. Well, I don't want to be a one trick pony here, but it, it goes right back to what I just uh, left saying last, which is um, before anything, because I essentially do want to scare you out of the idea before you spend time worrying about ethics and regulations and, and, and maybe after Andrea's, what is a franchise franchise or franchisee? What does that mean? But I want to do the job of the franchise or a through Z black and white. This is the expectations minimal to stellar, right? And we can use examples and bring, uh, bring people in that we all agree are phenomenal uh, franchise operators. But I think that the class at Outset 101 has to be, this is what you're getting into. Wholesale, this is what the new world looks like for you. This is what your job is about to be. Mm. Now that you've taken this class, do you want to get the certification and do you want to actually go on and do this job? So uh, for me, that, that has to be 101 because um, there's a lot of bad franchisors out there. There's a lot of people who did it with gung-ho for two, three years and got burned out. And I'm going to invoke our friend Joe Caruso, who unfortunately doesn't have a voice to be here this evening with a cough. But he would say um, the stat of essentially two to 300 franchise companies uh, come into existence and offer their brand every year. Mm -hmm. And about almost exactly the same number stop selling and close or stop selling franchises. And he has a bunch of other stats that he loves to share with us, which are very relevant about 
you know, most franchise organizations are one to five units total. They, they basically just never get that momentum to continue and, and grow on. And then, you know, we're, Joe and I are both in the food business, predominantly hospitality, but, um, but in that business, we see big brands like take a break from franchising and then it's a big story. Well, oh, they're going to franchise again, or they're going to open a new territory, a new country, something like that. So that should be proof enough that this is not an easy task and that there's going to be some resiliency required. And I think you need to know at the very outset what you're getting into and what, what the new job is for you. Yeah. They don't call him Mr. Troy Paywall Coop, uh, Hooper for for no reason. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Like, I can't wait to hear what you have to say to this. You're jumping in blind, AC, but wait till you hear the topic. Angela Cote. Well, I saw her. In I the, have no uh, idea what you guys are. That's the best part awesome. of it. We're, we're not going to tell you what we're talking about. We just want you to start talking about something in franchising. Oh. <laughs> no. So... What we're doing is we are, uh, so Megan advanced um, a hypothetical, which is we're putting together a course for a franchise student, and we're each writing uh, a chapter, essentially, about um, what it is that you need to know to be a franchisor. As an emerging franchisor, what is it that you that you should be aware of? Um mm-hmm. And um, I'll, I'll let you go before I go. But um, uh, Megan, uh, so Megan, Andrea, and Troy each had a, a point. Um, do you want to give your points to Angela so she knows? Or Yeah, quick? I'd like to tee it up. So it would be mm-hmm. the basis of this was an article I read about um, how young brands and Louisville, um, University of Louisville, has created a true program, right, where we didn't have that opportunity. We had to fight it out. <laughs> you and I in the field with franchisees, right, AC? But the Franchise 101 course for the first six months, right? Freshman in, in college, mine was ethics and franchising. A- A- Andrea had a great point. Go ahead, ABB. Okay, so um, I was saying that I'm currently teaching a, a, a course at Northwest College, um, and it's an entrepreneurship but there's a section coming up where it's actually on franchising, but I haven't fully looked at it. I just look at the course outline, but I just basically think the 101 is like, what is franchising? What is a multi-unit franchise, um, franchise? What's, fra- what's a franchisor? Because a lot of um, people have no idea when we're in the industry, we use a lot of um, you know acronyms like FDD and all of these things that we talk about IFA and, like, what is it? A lot of people have no idea. And I was saying that I just had a consult a couple of days ago and someone was just saying, I know my business, but I know nothing about franchising. And I hear those words all the time. So I think normalizing the language of franchising would be where I would start in a 101 course. It would not be for this esteemed group that is like at a master's level in franchising, but for students starting out, I think that's where I would start. And Angela, I um, I shared my thoughts at the outset. Uh, it's uh, it, it's it's what are the expectations? What is the job of a franchisor, right? So I think the first course in this program would be what is it that you're getting yourself into? What are the expectations? What are the requirements? What is the real job of being a great franchisor look like? 
because it making that transition from owner operator founder um, to franchise or infrastructure company CEO is a, is a difficult one that a lot of folks struggle with. And I don't think that that information is readily available, understood, and I don't think it's actually represented accurately in the sales part of this entire experience. And so um, I, I think we need to start people at, at these basics, all of them included, I think are very valid, but um, what the heck is it you're getting yourself into? And uh, is this right for you is step one for me. Okay, well, it's going to sound like you took mine. <laughs> Because before I heard what you said, my what I was going to say, and I've got I've kind of got two parts to it. Is it, this is one chapter that I would it's write? A long it's chapter. No, it's okay. multiple it's chapters. <laughs> it's a course. It could last a semester. It's very detailed at some point, right? But what's important to teach? Okay, so the two the two things I would do early on, even though this might it's going to be a little similar to Troy, um, might turn people off is I would take them through whether they have the, what I call the DNA of a franchisor. And so I, there's 10 traits that I talk about of if to be a successful franchisor, you need to have. I don't have them memorized, my apologies. And you guys just, you know, threw this out. put but on the spot. But I can I tell you a couple of them. But it, I mean, where I really go with people when they're trying to figure out if they should franchise, even if they've already started and they've got a franchise in operation and they're not, they're struggling, you're, it's never too late to stop franchising. So I know I'm being very controversial here, but sometimes it's better to stop than to keep going and you'll you cut the losses. But um, so one, the, the area that I always go deep on is the, is the, the people side of things. And Troy, you were hitting on it as well. Like your, your, what business are you getting into? And you could say you're getting into the people business and people be like, Oh, I like people. Um, have you ever had people that invested their life savings into your brand and you're trying to, uh, trying to get them successful, but actually you didn't pick the right people. So they'll never be successful. And now they, they're like lost, they're losing all their life savings. And now they're very upset with you and they're suing you. And like, that's, that's not just being a people person. You have to really understand the relationship business. So the first thing I would do is, is always take people through whether they have the right DNA to be a franchisor or continue franchising. Um, and then the other thing is um, I believe that there's five criteria to assess before you become a franchisor. Um, and so within that is um, do you, are you thinking long-term? You know, a lot of people franchise their business with the idea of five units or, or eight units. Well, you're not going to, you, you know, it's it's like building a half a snowman. Like, it's just not not going to be the same. Like you, because once you get the ball rolling, you kind of got to finish it or you stop. And then you didn't really, you really didn't accomplish anything. Because again, you've got people that are half successful. Like the, I, I don't know very many um, franchise companies that have 10 units and they're just thriving and growing and just staying at 10 like the franchisees are thriving. So um, growth minded, really longer term. Like, are you, that's the first question I ask is, are you in this for like, do you have the energy, the grit, the track record to do this for like years? And, and why, like, well, for, yeah. So first of all, do you have that? And, and are you comfortable with going into a lot of debt? Are you comfortable mm. with putting your, your employees first. I'm seeing a lot of people laugh, um, you know, putting your employees first, you're not, you know, it's kind of like being an entrepreneur, but on steroids. So not taking a salary and whatever you have to do to make it successful. Um, all that long-term thinking is a huge one. Um, do you have, do you actually have a good brand? Cause 
I have had a lot of, I, you know, you talk to somebody who's got a really successful bakery and, uh, and they're making a lot of money or a tire business or whatever. And you're like, okay, so, um, what's different about you? We're a bakery. We have fresh ingredients. Oh, <laughs> well, I, I, I hope they're like, well, I certainly hope so. I yeah, hate well, the ingredients or something. And you're like, wait a minute, there's, you know, and maybe you're successful because people know you and now you're going to try to bring your brand into another community where there's already a really uh, independently supported bakery that everybody loves. And you're going to try to go in there and steal people away. So do you really have a good brand? Do you, are you, you know, within that, are you clear on your differentiator and what makes you different and awesome? Um, you know, do you have the unit economics? That's obvious. Um, you know, if you put it, if you take out a royalty and you take out, um, you know, an ad fund and whatever else might be in there, you still have a good economics. Um, and then is it, is it systems oriented versus people oriented? Is it, you know, replicable? And so, um, and I feel like there's something else, but I take them, I would take people through that criteria piece. And what I see a lot of the times is, um, that people are like, yeah, you know, uh, we'll assess whether your fr business is franchisable. They look at the numbers. Maybe they look at the brand a little bit, but they're really like the metrics and that's their assessment. And people, I, it's so talking about ethical and irresponsible versus irresponsible saying to somebody that you can franchise a business because your numbers are good. Like, Anyway, so I, yeah, you're, can you tell this is like a big one for me? I'm like, yeah, I'm that's why it. I thought you'd like it. And, and honestly, and Micah, I want to hear you as the expert. You're yeah, sorry, I rambled on, but <laughs> I, I haven't been on the franchisor that should know what you would want to yeah. do. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I mean, you know, the thing is, I think you all have hit it. We, we talked about it a little bit. And it's funny because Troy, Angela, and my point is probably like a 1A, B, and C. Um, you know, so what, what I'm about to say kind of branches off of what I said earlier, right before Angela came on, which was, do you know, you're building another business, um, when you become a franchisor? And so what I would write would probably be closer to the end of, or maybe close to the finale of the course, which is building and scaffolding a franchising company, the, the company itself. So, you know, because that's the point after you've established that you have the DNA that Angela talks about, that's the point after you've already talked to the consultants and you realize that you, um, have a viable business, you have a unit economics, you have a good brand, it's trademarkable. Um, and, and, and your systems are mostly good, but you need to build the franchising company. And that is also difficult because that is building a company that you have no, you have very little idea at the beginning how it's supposed to function and who is supposed to function within a franchising company and what their day-to-day -day does. And am I accidentally hiring two people for the same job versus hiring a person uh, to start, you know, from the zero yard line to the, 25 yard line to 25 yard line to the 50 yard line. Like, you know, that is something that you have to map out. So one of the things, one of the first things I did, and this is part of the reason why everything maybe in my first year has taken me so long is I mapped out my company at full maturity and it wasn't easy. Um, and you're making a lot of assumptions, of course, but within those assumptions 
comes a bit of clarity about positions and you know how you think that your company should interact with franchisees because I don't want to guess how I want to interact with franchisees when I'm you know when you have all these franchisees I want to mostly know what kind of relationship and interaction I'm going to have because I've already thought about it and to me that was a hard thing to put in there and then and then I had to think well what do I value this person who's going to bring in franchises at what do I value this person who's going to interact on a business level um, and help franchisees with their unit economics at what do I value? You know, you know what I mean? Like you go through all these positions, the support positions, the marketing, all this stuff. And this is the franchise company that you have to build. You're the CEO of a franchise company and infamous org chart of the future without knowing how many owners, right. Or, the percentage of the royalty stream you need to apply to each department um, at what your ratio is of uh, business coach, right. Or operation slash business coach in the early days for them to run a really solid organization and department to support your people. Right. Like well, that is, had that's like a crystal ball. Troy said something earlier about the franchise fees only. Mm -hmm. That was so important because until you map out your company, you don't even understand why you need so many royalties coming in to maintain your franchise company, but you do when you have to pay your franchising company salaries, uh, HR benefits, payroll, keep a franchise moving. And when you map out a fully uh, matured franchising company, <laughs> those franchise fees are not going to, are not going to cut it. You need actual revenue, monthly revenue coming in to satisfy those needs. Sorry, Troy, you took yourself off mute. Did you want to yeah, I was going to say, you know, add a chapter to this. And and uh, I had two answers to the question in case somebody else had taken it, just like Angela had two uh, parts to her initial reaction. But when Angela said DNA, it really sparked me to want to say the second answer, which was, do you have the uh, temperament? Do you have the EQ? Um, are you a leader that franchisees will trust, have confidence in and follow? That is a big early question as well. Are you the right person to run this organization? We have a division of our company that runs franchise organizations for brands because they realize, hopefully at the beginning, or at least at some point, this is not the business I want to be in, or I know I'm not going to be good at this business. We go back to the saying, you're really good at the business you're doing. That's why you believe it's replicable. It's why people are asking you to franchise. That's usually how this starts. People say, boy, you should really franchise this. I would love to, uh, to, to do this business as well. I'd love for you to show me how you're so successful at this business. But that does not mean, I believe we've all said this in one way or another, Angela really covered was, that doesn't mean you're going to be good at running this new company. And I love, Micah, that you went through that exercise. Uh, Stephen Covey taught me at 24 and a half years old, um, begin with the end in mind. Uh, I'm I'm a two brain kind of guy. I'm, I'm almost equal parts analytical as I am creative. Uh, and so I want to reverse engineer everything, right? I, I'm not a tinkerer or a take things apart kind of guy. But if I'm going to create something, I, like you, envision the, what, what does this look like? What is 300, 500? What is international? What does this look? Okay, now let's walk back. And I leave myself breadcrumbs 
of those milestones, right? And so work it back all the way to today. And that list gets really long. It's shorter in the beginning because those are big ideas and big pictures. But man, when you start getting down to the last two, three years from now, it's a lot of work and there's a lot you don't know that you don't know. And like you said, how do you know who to hire, when to hire, how much to pay them, what their job should be, whether they're doing a good job or not. And this will come back to the five of us sitting here and Joe, our friend who would normally be here as well. And I'm sure many others in our network, there are people out there like us who make a profession of leading you down the path. And oh, by the way, almost, uh, and Angela, forgive me, I don't know uh, your professional histories, uh, but we've all done it. And I assume Angela has, we've all done it. We've all been on both sides of this coin. We've all worked both sides of this business. And so that's why we're good because we, we walked this walk you've already walked. And so why not take the information and take the education and save yourself time, a lot of money, a lot of wasted money, a lot of wasted potential uh, that, that you don't, you know, the time it takes to get to where you could be and some assurity that you might have a better chance to succeed back to my point of two to 300 open and two to 300 close every year. Um, that, that's not a great ratio when you look at an industry that you're thinking about setting yourself up in. I was going to throw in too that uh, a lot of people, early stage franchisors don't understand why there isn't just like the steps. Here's the steps. And I just, this, when Micah was talking about the, the initial, like the, I call it the infrastructure of, you know, what you need to, to grow and what people and what seats and things. I, I've been finding over the years, it really depends on it, your own skills and what, you know, who you have on your team already. Um, you know, I've uh, worked with people who are, are really good. They love like at coaching and love people and they, they can do that coaching piece. So, okay, you might not need to bring on a, a franchise business coach as early as this other person who actually hates that part, but does everything else really well, or, you know, maybe they've got someone on the team that's really good at marketing and they don't need to actually bring in a marketing person because there's someone that can do that. Like there's so many different variables and factors. I guess, Micah, you also alluded to that when you were talking about mapping it out, like you said, it's a lot of assumptions and it is. And I think, you know, it's so, it's just so interesting how everybody thinks that there could just be like step, 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 step. It, it's, mm. it's just not, there's so much more to it. Micah, I know you have a clip or something that you want to hit on us since we're almost at the hour. I want I do. So there's a couple of things though I want to touch on really quickly. Um, because we because I didn't introduce it, we kind of just blended, which was the mental cost of going into franchising. This kind of gets back to what Troy said about two brains. I felt immense stress because of how I think about business when I was starting the franchise. I had to do two things. I had to prepare the actual fitness concept for the journey. And I had to prepare the franchise company to be built, to be able to nurture the fitness concept, grow it and find the partners. And that is an extraordinary lift. And it was stressful because I think that, you know, for me, um, you know, I think it was a matter of, I know how to, I'm fortunate. I, I can create and think my way through infrastructure. Like Angela was saying, um, a lot of people struggle with that. Like Troy was saying, but at the end of the day, that is a, that's a heavy lift and it's, a, it's anxiety ridden because of the unknown. Um, and so recruiting, so recruiting help on one of those sides, I think is important. So for instance, 
you don't necessarily have to if you're good at if you're better at the infrastructure piece deal with that and i'm just i just happen to have probably more time than most because i only go into my business once every two months but you know the reality is is that if if you really should recruit someone like troy in his company or angela and her company if you're to bridge the gap between the sides of the franchise company and you know prepping your existing widget business you know to to be a franchise itself and part of the ecosystem and um there's a tremendous amount of stress with that so i just want to acknowledge you know that piece of it well you don't um, know what you don't know uh would you hike mount uh, everest or any other without a guide mm -hmm. right um could you maybe uh you also could die but you can die with a guide but it depends <laughs> on the guide uh but, you know, it's funny, it just really goes to what everybody has been saying. Um, I get a lot of people that come to me because I'm in the restaurant, predominantly restaurant business. We do all forms of hospitality. We have a big focus on the restaurant and emerging brands and restaurant. And we do a lot of at day one type um, emerging brand stuff. So I get a lot of folks that will come to me and and I mentor them or coach them. I usually take two or three coaching people at a time that, that just they're not going to be writing big checks. They just need help. And I don't want to see them fail. So, so it's good to keep that exercise, that muscle, that muscle working. But, you know, the first thing I ask somebody who's not ever worked in or not a restaurateur and even people that are in the restaurant business that have been doing one thing. And this goes back to the now you're going to do something else as an owner, operator, founder, as I look at them straight in the face and I say, great, there's a lot of jobs to get done here. What do you want to do in an ideal world? What do you want to do every day? What are you good at? What do you enjoy? What are you excited about? What will you do to the best of your possible ability? What is that short list of things that you want to do? Great. Everything else you need to hire for. You need to outsource. You need to get a consultant. You need to hire a firm or whatever it is, right? Hire it out. We at KRP, we're really good at a lot of things. Well, we don't do accounting. We don't do legal. We don't do, uh, even though I could write business plans in my sleep, I don't write business plans. We have a whole group of people that are phenomenal writing SBA approved business plans that they can guarantee we'll get a loan. Outsource. Oh, we don't want to do sales, by the way. So we don't do sales either. Uh, we'll do the stuff after somebody brings the salespeople vetted in. But that's the point is know what you're good at. Know what you enjoy doing. Know what you're going to deliver 100,000% better than anybody else. And let somebody else do all the other stuff. So, um, uh, for a shot when I see you in person, um, on me, if you drink, can you tell who this is in the video before I play it? Steve Jobs. That's Steve Jobs. Hey, you guys are good. You look like <laughs> like a massive hippie. So, you were talking earlier about um, value prop and branding, and how so many so many um, brands who emerging franchises who start think that they have value prop. I think Angela kind of dro drove this a little bit in more in her, uh, her unit that she would teach uh, prospective franchisees value prop is so important. Um, and franchising like, like you, like the panel already knows. Um, and it's something I've thought a lot about because it's something, for instance, that someone who's sophisticated in business, all, albeit not necessarily yet a franchisee might ask you, they may ask you this very question. So why should I go with you? Because what's different? And so I found this clip of Steve Jobs 
And he's going to dig into what he calls the personal computer. Um, this is 1981. And the interviewer basically asked him, why a personal computer? And so he's about to explain. I have, uh, let me see, check my movie. Okay. So he's about to explain the value prop of personal computing. Um, and I thought this was a, just an interesting like thought. And I want to get your thoughts on what he, what he says afterwards. And then we'll see also Angela's um, sandals today too. see what she's wearing. <laughs> we view the home not really as a market yet. We view it more as a location. Uh, we sell a lot of personal computers that are used for financial analysis, for education in schools, uh, for running laboratory experiments in you know, universities and in, in scientific applications. And a lot of these personal computers are used in the home as a location uh, some of the time. But there's not enough specific applications to cost justify spending a thousand to three thousand dollars for a personal computer to be used in the home yet. So we don't think the home is quite yet ready, uh, either culturally or economically. What type of person would need a personal computer today of the type you want? Well, it gets back to the question of what is a personal computer again. Uh, again, another analogy. Uh, there was an article in Scientific American in the early 70s, which compared the efficiency of locomotion for various species of things on the planet. In other words, they measured how much energy it took for a bird to get from point A to point B compared with a, the energy it took a fish to get the same distance and a goat and a person and all sorts of other things. And they ranked them. And it turns out the condor won. Condor was the most efficient. And man came in with a rather unimpressive showing about a third of the way down the list. Somewhat disappointing. But someone there had the insight to test the efficiency of man riding a bicycle. And man riding a bicycle was twice as good as the condor, all the way off the end of the list. And what it really illustrated was man's ability as a tool maker to fashion a tool that can amplify an inherent ability that he has. And that's exactly what we think we're doing. We think, we think we're basically fashioning a 21st century bicycle here, which can amplify an inherent intellectual ability that man has and really take care of a lot of drudgery to free people to do much more creative work. Does this mean, uh, do you think that personal computers uh, in the 21st century will be as much a part of a home as, say, uh, a refrigerator? Uh, a well, we can cleaner? always, we can look at what's happening right now. As an example, in the state of Minnesota, which is probably the leading state in the country, over 97% of the kids that graduate from high school have hands-on experience with an apple before they graduate. Now, these kids are growing up learning how to use this new tool in many, many phases of their life. They're hitting college, the same thing's happening. And so very rapidly, uh, the process of the integration of personal computers into the society will be accomplished. Uh, let me illustrate two other processes which have happened in our lifetime very similar to this. You probably haven't used a piece of carbon paper or seen a mimeograph machine in a while. And yet the first Xerox machine was introduced less than 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years ago next month. And in 20 years, it's radically altered the way that we work. Another process, the HP 35, uh, first scientific handheld calculator, was introduced by Hewlett-Packard in 1972. Well, we all know where that's gone in just uh, nine years. But another interesting sidelight is in 1978, the largest manufacturer of slide rules in the world stopped making them entirely because the market had gone away. Six years. So we see that it is possible uh, in our lifetimes for a process like this to radically influence the way that we work and even start to look at life.
I absolutely love that clip. There was there is so much power. You know, the funny thing is that you despite what you think about his two terms as CEO of Apple and everything that happened in between there with the board of directors, um, some of that fictionalized, his brain on value prop is like insane, obviously. And it's teeming out of like kind of his, his answer. So I just want to get your, your thoughts on that clip, what you thought, um, you know, he was, he's actually really saying um, about value prop and his analogies are like, crazy like next level well think about one thing i would like to point out is now we spend that much money on new phones because isn't it the same mm -hmm. it's a computer in your hand right so to your point about value proposition that i want to make earlier and then i unfortunately have to um, jump in a few i'm so glad you bring these clips because it's so important for us to value and not use the same term, but value the history of brands and how it relates to franchising. But most importantly, the value proposition of an investment in a human, a piece of machinery, whatever that may be. Now we are so freaking lucky to be in a world where you can create the data, learn the data, collect the data to know that at a higher percentage of like assurance, right? What does one franchise strong coach on your operations team, what can they handle, right? 15 units, 30 units, what's the model, Micah? Do they have an hour call until that person hits a benchmark to open another unit? I don't know what I don't know about your business, but I think it starts at operations and we are better at life because of technology and he was right and we all know it and that's why it doesn't matter what happened with him and his board it doesn't matter to any of us about who steve jobs is oh. he did the work that he needed to do in his sweet spot in the company and it worked right if i can add something i i just really felt like he took the time to understand his product and the business that he was in. And when he started to give um, examples, um, you could really see that he he really spent time in his industry. And I, based on what I think Troy said earlier, some of the other things, what is the job of a franchisor? And you know, people are jumping into areas that they really know nothing about, and they're not willing to at least um, do the work. You don't have to be a super intellectual like you know steve jobs was but you have to at least care about the business that you are getting into and then troy talked about eq and i think that book is on my my next reading which is um uh, the gary, gary v's the 12 and a half um leveraging the emotional ingredients necessary for business business success hey you have yours too i have a few as well troy <laughs> um yeah <laughs> I have my box. I lift up my box, Troy. <laughs> um, but I think you have to, I mean, in there, he talks a lot about self-awareness and that's been part of it. I think being self-aware when you're asking those questions, and I think that's where, you know, Troy's, the questions come from. In an ideal world, what is, what is it that you love to do in this business? And I think too many people are just not self-aware of themselves. They're not spending time doing the work. And 
for a lot of new people coming into franchising, why the work we do is so important. It may be the actual, the first time that someone has asked them really hard questions. And I think that goes to Angela's, um, you know, the DNA and asking those questions. So many people are running businesses. They're not really working on their business. So when you say to them, okay, what is your value proposition? What is your avatar? Who's your persona? They're looking at you like, I have no idea because no one has actually asked them that question before. They've just never done the work because they just see this thing that they're running. I have this business, I'm going to franchise it, but they really had not sat down and done those questions. So when they meet people like us, we're the ones that are bringing some of these things out of them. So that's my thought. Troy, Angela, do you have a thought on Mr. Jobs? I, I, I just think it's a fine line between when you believe it, it's tough because I, I don't have like a big insightful, awesome answer here, but I think it's, um, it's tough for like a franchisor or entrepreneur, even like myself, what I'm doing where you believe so strongly in something. I'll, I'll use my dad as an example. So now, now Troy will get a little bit of the background, but my dad founded a company, uh, in Canada that we grew to almost 500 locations over the years. And when he started it, a lot of people laughed at him. His own parents were like, what are you, what? And, and how, how, why did he end up successful? And then other people have what they think is a great idea and maybe it is, but they didn't maybe execute right or something. So I, I just think it's just an interesting thing to think about. I don't really have, you know, a big insightful thing, but it, it's like, how do you know? I guess you go and you go to your, you go and you look for proof of concept. No, not proof of, you look for um, people that are interested in what you've got and, and, you know, little wins maybe. And then. You know, but some people just keep going and going and they should probably stop. So I'm just, I'm happy Steve didn't. <laughs> I'm glad Steve Jobs didn't stop. I think maybe our lives would be a lot better without the phone. We think it's great, but. Mm. Hey, I save time every day, not sitting in a, you know, in a, in a chair and being active. I mean, Angela, you just posted you working out while you're. Right. Like if, if the benefits outweigh any negatives, in my opinion. This polar bear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in the icy cold waters of Canada, but I don't know. But we, but then we also waste time or spend time, you know, right. uh, on social media that we don't need to do. And and yeah, we might think it's enhancing our lives, and maybe it is. And I mean, it's connecting us. There's, I'm not, I'm not sure. Personally, I know a lot more than I would know if I didn't read. Articles. But maybe you don't need to know all of that. <laughs> I know, isn't that true? But I, I'm willing to accept that maybe I do. Okay. Well, Angela, to your point, sometimes um, in terms of your dad, why does some people carry on? Some people don't. I think sometimes the marketplace advise us and tell us and yeah. helps us decide if this idea is even a yeah. good idea. Right. So I think there's that other, you know, like in hockey or in any sports, they always say the 12th man or whatever sport is. Six the man, man. What, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's always the crowd or you know, that's there. So I think the marketplace also plays an idea. You know, some people start a franchise and within two years, because as part of the um, IFPG network, there are some brands that just they're on steroids. So like for whatever reason, they're selling a hundred territories in a year or two. So sometimes I think no, that might not be good. I have to say that. Sorry. So that, sorry, I didn't hear that. I just, I had to blurt it out that that might not be good just because they're selling the territories doesn't prove the concept. Right. I and I don't think it's bad either. Like I'm going to err on the side of, um, you know, of, uh, of the, the marketplace will tell you. And when you think about FUBU 
with um, Damon Johns, who started that. And he basically would go to a flea market. And if we take it out of franchising, you know, maybe we have our own personal opinions about selling territories or certain things. But take it out of that. When he took his T-shirts to the flea market, he he would sell out. And then, okay, let me try this again. He went back and he couldn't keep them. And finally, like maybe after three, four times, he went to his mom and said, I think I have something. And his mom bet on him and took out, um, you know, I think a mortgage on her home because she believed in it and could see it. So I think we can't rule out good or bad. Um, The marketplace and the people around us will help us decide. And if we read Mrs. Fields' cookie, her story is very similar. Um, So outside of franchising, whether we agree or not, like some brands are going faster, but there is something about dynamite brands that actually grow really quickly. They have good products because the marketplace is helping them determine whether their product is good or not. And for everything, there's always a flip side. I'm sure there's some examples of a few brands that couldn't, but I think we have to also use the marketplace to help us decide is our product working is it not is your product market fit so there are, there's that side of it as well i think i just i agree that that's the the way to do it for sure is to look at if the market's responding um but for my dad in the first year they went they went you know it was a rough go and they went one day without a single sale you know, they opened the doors, they spent all the money on the electricity and stood there waiting for people and like looking for people and trying to call people in. And there's a joke that at the end of the day, their their cash, their float didn't balance because my dad's business partner went and used money to buy something at the, the, the convenience store next door. So they actually lost money. And so like the market was not telling them, um, but they just were like, this has to, it has to make sense. It was, it was frozen quality frozen food at a time when women were entering the workforce and families were getting busier back in 1980 and you didn't have like the Costco and all that then. And they were like, this has to make sense. And maybe they, maybe people told them it made sense, but the market wasn't showing it. So I think there's a, like, sometimes it just takes time too. And that's where the grit comes in. And one of the components that I say, the DNA of a franchise, or there's the 10 things grit is one of them. So maybe it's that grit too. And one last point, sorry, I just, I don't think we get our answers, everything in one day, right? And I'm not saying Damon Johns had his, his answers, like the first day he went to teacher, like it's not that story. And I think sometimes we always, the best move is there's always a dragon to slay. Something happened, it's all in there in a story brand. You have an idea, the hero has a problem and then who something else happens. And even if you look at Tyler Perry, he has the same thing. He did his plays, no one showed up. Did his plays, no one showed up. And eventually, I don't know when there is that shift in the universe. The tipping point, right? right? Yeah. yeah, the tipping point. That's it, Megan. When mm-hmm. someone shows up or that one person in the audience who knows someone else. So I just think we still have to rely a bit on the, on the marketplace. We don't know when the market will speak to you or when it will happen. And sometimes the market never gives you the answer that you're looking for. So, yes. Um, so Troy, what was your thoughts on, uh, on Steve? Um, for the kids in the room, uh, from the old guy, uh, since Joe's not here, I get to play old guy. Uh, and hi, hi, Joe. We now know he's listening because he's sending his comments. He's transcribing his commentary on our commentary on social media at the moment. Uh, 
but we are not <laughs> going to speak your words. We have spoken your words already, sir. Uh, if for just for for memory's sake, um, Apple struggled and failed and bankrupt and struggled and failed iteration after iteration after. And when they finally got a really great personal computer that would appeal to young people, they it was at the height of awareness and therefore the height of competition. Microsoft, mm -hmm. and then anybody remember Gateway, the yeah. uh, Cal Print uh, computer <laughs> box? They sure uh, did. Lot, lots and lots of competition, right? Apple really actually didn't make money, truly, like be a big company until they made the iPod. The mean, the, the well, the, the iPod would that had a bunch of variations, but the first music player and then the phone. And by the way, the video of uh Jobs introducing the phone for the first time uh at an Apple thing, the iPhone, and he touched the screen, and that's making its way around the internet again right now. It's awesome to see. But um I, I will I will invoke what I heard in that conversation. Uh I know it's gonna work just because you don't know is it isn't gonna work doesn't mean it's not gonna work. And I'll invoke Walt Disney. So if Steve Jobs is like anybody, he's like Walt Disney. Uh, and this goes for any of those future market makers uh, out there. When you believe in a thing, believe it all the way, implicitly and unquestionably. Do you know how many people told Walt Disney he was out of his mind? Ever loving and, mind. Crazy. And do you know do you know how broke Walt Disney was when Disney World <laughs> Disneyland opened? Uh, it's a, it's phenomenal stories, right? But they took it to the edge. Um, and if you don't have that grit and uh, to Angela's point, uh, that resolve and that willingness to bring others along and ask for help, um, you know, it, it's a statistic rather than a story. Yeah. Before, before we, um, uh, see Angela's shoes and put a close to the, um, to, to the evening. It, one of the things, so the ex we talked about execution earlier. And, um, and, you know, Apple for, for various reasons, um, was unsuccessful, um, successful, unsuccessful, but the way he's thinking about marketing, the belief in his marketing is different. It's almost like I'm laughing at a private chat here. Um, it's almost like, um, how Clayton Christensen thinks about marketing and the white paper that he wrote with the two other Harvard business school professors. They talked about the job of your product. He said that personal that home is not a market; it's a location. I know. Oh my god! So it's great. that's such a simple idea, but it's actually brilliant, right? It's a location. And then he 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 what he said about the tools. So now again, his execution may have been off, but the way he was thinking about what problems that his business could solve are how brands should be thinking. He said that when he talked about comparing the condor and the, and, and the ease of travel, and as humans, we have this ability to create tools that make things easier. And then maybe personal computers can make humans smarter. That is undeniable. They have changed the world and the generations now that have phones and computers are infinitely smarter because everything that would take us growing up in my typewriter class in school, in high school, that I took senior year, they can do this in two seconds. They have the answers to all of, you know, they have the knowledge of the world in their pocket that they carry it around. That is understanding a job that needs to be done. Now, 
how you execute it could be trash, right? However, the fact that you know that you want to increase knowledge very simply and personally for individuals is a different story. And to me, that's his genius, right? And that's a that's actually value proposition. Wait, I can be smarter at home or walking around? It's On brilliant. my free time. In Just my free because time. I want to be smart. Because I want to be smart. And what it does is ultimately as time progresses is it allows people in, in different socioeconomic stratas in different areas of the world who have the ability to actually uh, get these things because, you know, capitalism has made them cheaper. They have access to all this information. You all are killing me in this private chat right now. Um, and, but, but to me, the value prop, I think when brands and you're franchising and you're thinking about value prop, you need to think about what job people will hire you to get done. What job do they want done? They know that they need the hole in the wood. They don't care how it gets there. Laser beam, you know, <laughs> drill, drill bit. But like they, 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 they want to go with the brand that can that can help them achieve a job. So, anyways, that's my spiel. There's one last thing I wanted to just ask you all about. Um, I was on Twitter, which is like, I don't know, it's like that. It's a circle, circular firing squad. So I try not to exist on Twitter too much, but people seem to think that franchising is only restaurants. So I, I, I'm, I'm a part of this. Um, I'm doing a, uh, I'm a panelist on this, on this upcoming generation, black generational wealth thing coming up in Feb in black history month. Right. And I posted it and the, uh, someone commented that, Oh, like the comment on like, cl clearly we're in three different franchises that have nothing to do with restaurants and food and QSR food service. Right. <laughs> and, um, Angela is making me laugh every three seconds. And, <laughs> and so the person was like, Oh, the margins are low. That was the response. Oh, don't franchise. Cause the margins are low. I was like, lady, what? <laughs> like, what are what you charging for what? I mean, wait, wait, wait. I want, I want to make sure everybody understands. There's only two types of franchises in the world, restaurants and, uh, home disaster cleanup. That, that's the only thing you can franchise, right? I don't, yeah. I don't think there is any other kind of franchise. What are you franchising? Right. Or there? senior care, actually. They have, you know, ads what on. What do you guys think? This welcome welcome to the encore, guys. Welcome to the after show, after the show. Yeah, the, the show after the after show. We get a lot rails, of this is called off the rails. Experts yeah. after dark. So what do you, what do you, what, why do you think there's this perception that franchising only relates to, it's like McDonald's and Burger King or it's QSR. It's Well, because it's new. To, like it's newer, right? Like even when my dad franchised a retail frozen food chain in 1980, that was like um, unusual. It was mm. it was like people weren't using franchising for that kind of thing at that time, and it's just grow. It's just growing. And actually, yeah, this is a trend, right? Like people are starting to realize you can franchise a lot of different things. If I again go back to the criteria we talked about earlier, like not every everything's franchisable if it meets the criteria, right? But um, yeah, I love the idea of all these different, like, actually, I was just talking to a franchise prospect today. And just I, that's not what I do for a living. But I just happen to be and I was like, you know, take a look at all the different things out there. Like, and the thing is about like, somebody that's looking to become a franchisee, if they're, they might love, they might think they're really good at like shipping and logistics. But I'm like, that's not really what you're going to be doing as a franchisee, you're going to be managing your team, and you're going to be selling and you're going to be like, so you have to be passionate about that piece. So like, I think that's partly why you can franchise so many different things. It's just, it's just a different business. 
Oh right. my God. I can't. All right. All right. No, the moment, the moment everybody's been waiting an hour and 23 minutes for, this is something <laughs> we do every time, all two or three times we've been on this program. Uh, Micah, please, uh, as the MC, please introduce the talent and, and star of the show. First, I want um, Angela to see my um, last chat. My last message I put in the private chat before well, she. Yeah, I did see that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having a poker face. I want to know. I do want to know how Angela actually hit send on a comment in the back channel while both hands were up like this. <laughs> right, it's, Ooh, it's, Montgomery Burns. He has that level of skill. So, um, ladies and gentlemen, it's it's the time of the evening. Um, you know, expert franchisers. After dark starts kind of at 9.30, as opposed to my Instagram lives with uh, CEO of Kika Stretch Studio, Kika Wise, which is a franchise with After Dark that are dark. Um, so oh, that's cool. something that... <laughs> that's something, Kika, you know that. I something that we some do, but... Um, Angela, what are you rocking today in terms of footwear? Okay, I wasn't what sure if that's have? what we're doing. Okay, I, did, I didn't even think about this in advance, but these are not my sandals today. So I got my bell bottoms on. Uh -huh. And these boots on with it's boots winter, on. baby. Winter yeah. wear. Leopard. I can't make it go right, but yeah, there we go. <laughs> Bam. All right. Screenshot has been Violet, taken. Girl. Oh, uh, Troy, you need to stand up and show what pants you're wearing or shorts. <laughs> I, I'm wearing jeans, actually. I actually put clothes on today. Oh, I'm nice. fully dressed. Nice. And uh, for some reason, I have shoes on. I have no idea why I'm sitting in my office. <laughs> I'm not walking outside in snow in a few minutes like many of, of you might. Just to be I'm clear, I'm here. Here. in Denver, Troy. You know Denver weather. Oh, yeah. Bring it on. I have so so many uh, foot shots. The people are actually uh, contributing money at this point. Thank you, um, Angela. <laughs> I'll do better next. Now that I know we're doing this, I'm gonna have to get some nicer shoes. Like, I have to stock up because I, I really am not a big shoe person. I'm a, you know, I have a few different options, but this is what I'm wearing at the moment. A slipper. <laughs> there you go. Slipper. Hey, you're in Boston, man. I get it. Yeah. Well, I love you guys. I have to degrees. jump, but thank you for having yeah, us. Yeah. Thanks everybody so for having me. Yes. Thank Great you all. Together, Appreciate it. Um, we yes. did get a comment from Kika who said, uh. Uh, she'll be on next time. She just got out of franchise meeting. She's been here for a few minutes. She loves it. So uh, we'll, we will see her the next time. If you're tuning into this, if you are watching this on YouTube, please make sure that you like and subscribe. Uh, please follow Troy Hooper, Andrea Bailey Brown, Megan Allen, Angela Cote. Connect with them on LinkedIn. They're all there. Um, follow them on uh, Facebook if they're on there, if they're accepting requests. Are you all accepting requests? Yeah. All right, great. Uh, follow them and um, on there if you have franchising questions. Uh, also, uh, remember that this is a monthly uh, franchise roundtable, so we will do this again in February um, because these are very busy people. Um, and uh, lastly, there will be an audio version of this on the podcast as well, so you can check that out. That's coming out. And by the way, guys, the audio version of this podcast actually was one of my biggest episodes of December. So that was actually pretty cool. Does that People, mean anything if it was just me, December? To me, it does. Okay. Well, yeah, it was huge. It, it was does. a 90-minute 90, 90 episode, and, and, and 
right. something like 98% of people who listen to it, listen to the entire thing. So nice. it was really yeah. nice. Oh, dog. I yeah. love it. Bring it right. on everyone. Let's keep the, the, let's keep feeding our public. That's right. <laughs> Well, thank you all for joining today. Next time we'll have Kika and Joe once he's resurrected um, from whatever um, scourge he's suffering at the moment. And uh, any parting words before we end the broadcast? Love you all. Yeah, go. Thank you, Michael, for putting this together. Really well done. Love the clips. Keep bringing the clips and the topic. Thank you, Professor. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) See y'all later. See you guys. Bye bye.